Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Good morning, church. It's amazing to be with you this morning and with everyone listening online. There are times when I find it hard to listen to God. There are times where I trust myself and the things of this world more than God. There are times when I take things into my own hands. And I know I'm not alone in this. We all find it hard to trust in and follow God at times. There are times when it's easier and more convenient to take the wide road over the narrow. And we live in a world where the media is constantly blasting messages at us like, You know what's best for you. Live your own life. Rules are for breaking. And I suppose it comes down to these truths. Whoever or whatever we listen to holds our heart. Whoever or whatever we trust, we obey. I remember when I was about seven years old, I had saved up my pocket money for weeks to purchase the brand new version of the Tamagotchi. Does anyone here remember the Tamagotchi? Anyone? They were a rage in the early 2000s, um, and I was very excited to finally set mine up and take it to school the next day to show my friends. But my mum, Jules, she immediately hit me with some tragic news. Esther, you're not to take the Tamagotchi to school. It'll distract you from your schoolwork or you'll lose it. Say what now? Come on, Jules. Seven-year-old me decided that mum had no idea what she was talking about and that I knew better. So I hatched a genius plan to hide my Tamagotchi at the bottom of my school bag and smuggle it to school the next day. Ha-ha. Unfortunately, though, my cunning plan quickly unravelled when mum collected me early from school the next day, Tamagotchi in hand, caught red-handed. I remember the sinking feeling and the silent car ride home. But most of all, I remember her disappointed words. Esther, I forgive you, but you have to realise that you directly disobeyed me and that hurts. God cannot honour disobedience. But just as mum forgave me for bringing my Tamagotchi to school... There is forgiveness a thousand times over because of the grace of Jesus Christ. But there is also a call to trust and to obey. See, God wants to be the one that we listen to, the one we choose to follow. God wants our complete trust and obedience out of worship, not compulsion or ritual. This morning, we continue our series, A King Like No Other, through the book of 1 Samuel, and our passage really hones in on the importance of obedience, what it looks like to practically listen to, trust, and depend on God. But whilst we often don't like the word obedience, as it comes with a side of negative connotation and a little bit of discomfort, it's not something that this church or God's word shies away from. Contrary, obedience is not only a command, it is a way in which we can worship. Last week, Pastor Mike shared that the people of Israel pleaded with the prophet Samuel for a king. 
desperately trying to be like the other nations around them. The Israelites were resisting and rejecting God. They were tired of leaders who represented God to them, and they wanted a king to represent them. The Israelites were calling out to be typically oppressed when they could have been uniquely blessed. They were trying to find guidance and direction in flawed earthly wisdom, trying to find their worth and ultimately their identity in an imperfect human leader rather than an omnipotent, almighty God who had rescued and protected them for generations. And we can see now that this decision was foolish as God's word is packed full of examples that prove that human leadership is right some of the time, but God's rule is right all of the time. Amen? Amen. Nevertheless, 1 Samuel chapter 10 introduced a promising, newly appointed king Saul. Saul, like a complex character in any good drama or mystery film, initially presents confident, strong, impressive, hopeful, not bad to look at. But as you read on in the story, as Saul's character is tested and developed, the layers are pulled back and we start to see his true colours and legitimate motivations. Pastor and author Charles R. Swindle says this, Israel's first king, Saul, looked like he was born for the role. He was tall, handsome, intelligent and sensitive to God's leading. But he eventually lost most of his attractive qualities the most important being obedience. But before we dive into this deeper, will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for who you are and for your sovereign reign. Lord, we pray that you will speak clearly, openly and powerfully to us this morning. God, I pray that you will challenge and mould our hearts and our relationships with you. Help us by your spirit to hear your voice, your call, and help us, Lord, to trust and to obey you more and more, I pray. Amen. Now, for some more background, Saul is anointed as the king of Israel, and we read in chapter 10 that God changed Saul's heart and that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. But as Paul is presented to the people, the prophet Samuel specifically warns the Israelites in chapter 12. He says, if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you. But boy, are the Israelites quick to disregard this warning. Saul starts off the job strong and he leads his army into a successful battle with the Ammonites, wiping out a big chunk of their army and scattering the rest. This is a huge win for the people of Israel and they sacrifice offerings to God in thanks and celebration and confirm Saul as their king. See, we were right. The new king's great and he's already led us into victory. But we turn the page to chapter 13 and this is where things start to come undone. This morning we're going to read two separate incidences where King Saul disobeyed God and proved he wasn't cut out for his newly appointed leadership role. And there are lessons to learn and challenges to consider with each example. So Saul disobeyed God firstly by sacrificing out of panic and secondly, by ignoring God's instructions. So firstly, offering, offering up a sacrifice in panic. And we're going to start reading from verse 7 of chapter 13, where Saul is about to lead a trembling army, Israelite army, into battle with the Philistines. So we're picking up halfway through verse 7, if you're following along. 
Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking in fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. But just as he had finished, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the commands the Lord gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought after a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now the Israelites led by Saul were not in a desirable battle position here. We read that the Israelites did not have proper weapons and that the Philistines were closing in on them from every angle. Things were bad. But Saul had been given a simple command from God. Go to Gilgal and wait for Samuel there. Would the newly appointed king submit to the prophet or overrule him? But Samuel hadn't arrived and out of fear, panic and doubt, Saul went ahead with the sacrifice, directly disobeying Samuel's instructions. Perhaps you can empathise with Saul's decision. I mean, his, his men are dying and fleeing all around him. Samuel is nowhere to be seen. He freaks out, turns into crisis mode. He had to act. But we read that Samuel arrived only a moment after Saul had finished the sacrifice. So it wasn't like Saul had waited very long before panicking and taking things into his own hands. When Samuel realised what had happened, Saul was not just rebuked for taking the role of the priest in the sacrifice but also for taking the role of the prophet. See, the role of the prophet, Samuel's role, was to give the king specific instructions and guidance from God, to speak and act on God's behalf. But Saul thought he could take the role of both priest and prophet into his own hands. And this foolish and prideful deed would cost Saul his kingship, which we'll come back to in much more detail in just a moment. But for now, my question for you and for me is this. When we're faced with a state of panic, when our enemies are closing in on us from every side, when our loved ones let us down, when we're weighed down by temptation, when we face financial strain, a crippling pandemic, we lose our job or receive an unwanted diagnosis, do we submit to God or overrule him? Do we wait on him or act out in fear? Do we listen and obey or jump, jump the gun and take things into our own hands? It's easy for me to stand here on platform or for you to sit in your seat or listen online and realise that what Saul did was foolish in the moment. But if we're honest with ourselves, how often do we do the same? How often do we doubt God's reign in our circumstances? How often do we claim ourselves as prophets over our own lives. Whoever we listen to holds our heart. Whoever we trust, we obey. Will you pray earnestly that the Holy Spirit would give you the strength to wait on God, 
trust him and submit to his way, knowing that his plan is perfect and better than any that we may have, knowing that human wisdom is right some of the time, but his heavenly wisdom and timing is right all of the time. Secondly, in chapter 15, God, Saul ignores God's instructions. And we're going to continue reading in chapter 15, this time from verse 17, where God commanded Saul to attack the Amalekites and destroy everything in sight. But why, why would a loving God command Saul and the Israelites to do this? Well, he's a loving God, but he's also a perfectly just God who always and will always have the right to judge us. And we read that the Amalekites were described as an evil people who not only bullied the Israelite nation, but had also harmed and corrupted surrounding nations. So the God of justice may have commanded the Israelites to wipe out all the Amalekites to prevent another evil generation from rising up, or as judgment for their generational sin. But we read that Saul, again, thinks he has a better plan and spares King Agag's life, the king of the Amalekites, as well as some of their finest livestock. So we're going to read now from verse 17. This is chapter 15. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord appointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers kept the sheep and the cattle for the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, and this is really important, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination, and arrogance like the, the evil of adultery. Because you have rejected the Lord your God, he has rejected you as king. We read that Saul carried out God's instruction in part. In contrast to Saul's panic decision to make the the sacrifice in chapter 13, this time Saul really knew what he was doing. Verse 24 shows us that he knew perfectly well what God had asked him to do and yet lied about it. And Samuel finally forced Saul to admit that he had warped God's commands. When you first read this story, you might think, I mean... I guess it was nice of Saul to spare a man's life and some of the animals. But it's important to realise that Saul did not save King Agag's life out of compassion. Rather, it's much more likely Saul did this to selfishly seek some sort of political or financial advantage. And it's also possible that Saul's real motivation for sparing the livestock was to feed his troops or to sell them for profit, rather than offering them up in sacrifice. Again, there is a bigger problem here than Saul just not listening to God's commands. The root of the issue is that Saul is playing the role of God and prophet, and Saul thinks he has a better plan for God's army and his people. Saul overlooked the fact that God doesn't want our partial obedience or our meaningless rituals because partial obedience is 
disobedience. It's a common mistake to think that God will overlook or brush past our sin as long as we rock up to church on Sunday, sing some songs and tithe our 10%. No, sin is sin, no matter how we dress it up, package it or try and justify it. Insubordination is like idolatry, submission to our own selfish desires rather than God. It's trusting God, it's trusting ourselves more than God. God, first and foremost, wants us to listen to him. He wants our hearts. He wants our wholehearted trust and obedience over our lukewarm sacrifice any day. God wants our complete trust and obedience, first trust, then obedience in that sequence. (laughs) We read in verses 33 and 35 that Samuel himself completed the command that God had given Saul. And Samuel put King Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah and Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go and see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. One must ask, what does regretted mean in this context? If God is an all-knowing and omnipotent God who foreknew Saul's choices and his disobedience, why did he appoint Saul king in the first place? Perhaps the Hebrew translation of the word regretted is closer to mourned or grieved. Perhaps God intended that Saul would show Israel the state of her own heart both her outward conformity and inward selfishness, but most importantly, her desperate need for a transformed and restored relationship with their God. See, Saul was a foolish earthly leader who listened to his own desires over God's instruction. His image and his popularity with the people meant more to him than genuine repentance to God. And we read two separate incidents where Saul overruled God, proving He was not really the right man to lead the people of Israel. See, God wanted Saul's submission, but instead got his arrogance. Saul looked the part, but didn't have the heart. And Saul's lack of faith and obedience contrasts starkly with his son, Jonathan's. We read in chapters 14, 15, and 17 of 1 Samuel that Jonathan's faith is active and eager. And whilst I don't have time this morning to go into detail with this, I really encourage you to read more about Jonathan this week. Though less impressive to the onlooker, though young and inexperienced, Jonathan trusts God wholeheartedly. And in chapter 14, verse 6, he declares this. He says, Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few. Jonathan proceeds to fight boldly for the Lord with complete trust in God's protection, power and victory and seeking to follow and obey him. What will you do to have a Jonathan faith over a Saul faith? What would it look like to obey God like Jonathan in your family, in your workplace, in your uni or your spheres of influence? As we wrap up this morning, it's crucial that we realise this, that God's rejection of Saul as king 
foreshadows and juxtaposes King David's reign, the next Israelite king, a man who was still imperfect, yet obedient to God. David still had selfish desires, but chose to trust in and obey God. Unlike Saul, David was a man after God's own heart. And what do we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16? Which is, by the way, a spoiler alert for next week's sermon, so sorry about that. (laughs) But what do we read? It says this, it says, The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord cares about your heart, church. I've been saying it all morning. God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts to declare him as our true king. He wants hearts full of trust and obedience. But there's actually more. Saul's weaknesses also point to a much greater, perfectly obedient king, King Jesus, one who lived, died and rose again to atone for all disobedience. Romans chapter 5 says this, it says, through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. What amazing life-changing news for us this morning. We are completely saved under grace and made righteous through Jesus for all and any of our past disobedience. Jesus is the perfect example of someone who resolutely trusted and obeyed the Father. And as he cried and sweated tears of blood in preparation for what he knew the Father had called him to do, and as he was whipped and tortured and mocked and nailed to a cross, he paid the price for every single time we have failed to trust and obey. And I feel like there's someone in this room who needs to hear that or listening online, who needs to let the truth of those words wash over them. And whilst there is always, always, always freedom and forgiveness in the blood of Jesus, we cannot deny that there is still a call to obedience. That there is still a call firstly to trust and then as a result to obey. In John 14 verse 23, Jesus says these very challenging words. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. If you love Jesus, if he really holds your heart, you'll listen to him. If you trust Jesus, you will obey him. But we can't, we can't do this in our own strength or skill set. We desperately need the Holy Spirit of love, power and self-discipline to help us, to be our advocate and our guide. So what will you do differently this week to trust and obey in King Jesus? How will you live in active obedience to the King like no other? What may God be calling you into, which firstly requires you to trust and then to obey him? Would you imagine a church, a community, a world where we let God rule in our hearts and obey his call 
Imagine how many more churches would be planted, how many more people would hear the good news, how many more people would be saved and healed and have hearts transformed if we listened to and obeyed God rather than our own desires and motivations. Can you imagine a church full of Jonathan and David faiths and obedience where we stood and we collectively declared nothing, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Amen? When I was a little girl, I used to go to hymn services at my papa's church on Thursday nights. And I used to sit on his lap and hold the ancient-looking hymnal book um, for him to follow. And to finish up, I'm going to read out the words of one of his favourite hymns that are a joyful, joyful challenge for us this morning. Will you stand with me? I think you'll know it. (laughs) Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide when we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says, we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that there is grace upon grace and endless forgiveness for every time we have overruled or disobeyed you, Lord, because of King Jesus, the perfect example of obedience. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us and help us to be men and women after your own heart. Lord, help us to trust in and follow your commands out of love and worship for you, Lord. May we be a community of Jonathan and David faiths. Whilst we're not perfect, may we strive to trust in and be obedient to you. We pray all these things in your powerful, wonderful, beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.